0: Well hello again and welcome back to the 1099 podcast. As always I'm your host Joseph Noop and today I have a a guest that I am very excited to share with you not only because she's just so cool but she may or may not be like half the reason I'm still around in this dang industry or at least feeling proud of the work I do. I'm talking her up a big game but here it is Amanda Farrow. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing good. How are you?
0: I'm good. And Amanda Farrow, for those of you who have not heard of uh, the lovely Amanda Farrow, is the managing editor of GameDaily.biz and the editor-in-chief of SuperParent.com. Uh, I work for Game Daily Biz two to three days a week, full disclosure there, but I really wanted to pick Amanda's brain today. To talk about the the art of business reporting and some of the big topics going on in the more business focused side of the industry. So first off, Amanda, how how has your week been? It's been it's been such a slow month for video game industry news, hasn't it?
1: <laughs> it's been the craziest it's been month.
0: Hell, yet. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it has been. It's been really hard. Um, we have had a lot of things shift and change, not just internally at these companies, but we're seeing it with trends. So it's been a it's been a bit of a challenging month to keep up with all the things that are going on. Cause I mean, nobody told me about Apex Legends. Nobody filled me in on that before Monday. No, I I, I
0: don't I wonder if anyone filled in the Anthem team on Apex well, yeah, Legends. <laughs> We'll get there. We'll get there. but yeah, so uh, I, I I have really enjoyed writing news two days a week for you over at Game Daily biz. It's been a very different kind of reporting and writing than what I've been used to. i've I've done like big features where I've interviewed you know several people and tried to explore some sort of topic. but I've never really had the privilege of of doing business focus, you know, crunching some numbers, talking to industry leaders in, about the more. Uh, uh, directional ways that they're taking games or their companies. And I wonder, like you, you yourself have been a, uh, in the games industry as a reporter and a writer for a good while. But tell me, how how does your work feel different than something uh, like IGN GameSpot or uh, Paste or Waypoint, something more artisanal? How does the work of GameDaily.biz kind of differentiate itself?
1: Well, we're, we're one of very few business, game industry, business focused websites out there. So, you know, there's Gamasutra, there's gamesindustry.biz, and Variety Gaming is also doing a good chunk of the, the same kind of work that mm. we're doing. But how we differ and what we're doing to not just be different in the industry, but to elevate the conversation is we're providing context around the news. So it's not just about, okay, I got this information, I'm going to present this information. It's about putting that news in context for the people that are going to be reading our site. So for the most part, the people that we're talking to are industry enthusiasts that are very curious about how games are made and what goes into running a company and, oh my goodness, why did the stock fall and (laughs) things like that. So what we do is we take that news piece and we do a bunch of research to pull together other kinds of information. So for example, one of the pieces that went up today, one of our news articles was about Fox next and their new indie development fund and how they're going to be working with, um, they're going to be working with indie studios in the future. Mm -hmm. So it's not a big news hit in and of itself, but we put it in context and we, you know, we, we made sure to say like, Look, J.J. Abrams and Bad Robot are also doing something like this. Nordisk Film out in in Sweden, they're doing this as well. You know, they're picking up on gaming. So the film industry is really starting to move toward embracing games in a bigger way. So that is how we differentiated. Everybody else was just putting out the press release and we're giving it context.
0: And I think that's one of the things that I appreciate most working at a place like Gamedaily.biz is, uh, in in a way, it reminds me of back when I interned at Game Informer uh, and actually worked under the lovely Mike Futter, who also works for Gamedaily.biz. He sure
1: does. (laughs) And he lives with me. It's amazing.
0: He works very closely with (laughs) Gamedaily.biz, yes. (laughs) I can only imagine what those uh, morning meetings are like.
1: Uh, they After you can put get the kids away and they everything, can get yeah. kind of, they can get kind of hairy. Yeah. And we sit down and we have our coffee and we're like, Oh, <laughs> what happened today? <laughs> or, Oh goodness, what happened overnight? And you know, I, I'm really, I'm so privileged because Mike is, he was an inspiration for me like long before we started dating. And I've always, I've always loved his work. I loved his work at Game Informer and I love the work that he's doing now for Game Daily for Variety and everything like that. So yeah, we, we, constantly go back and forth. And, you know, he's working with Polygon now and he's got variety, like he's got other gigs. He's not just working Mm. with me, but we're always, we're always bouncing ideas off each other. It's a, it's a real privilege to be able to sit down and, pick his brain every once in a while and he would say the same for me
0: (laughs) and and it it just reminded me of how uh i I worked as a news intern under him at game Informer back in like late 2015 and uh he was Mm -hmm. still working in uh the on the east coast new new jersey area is it uh something like that yeah that's
1: where we are and
0: uh so we both got to admire him in our own special way from afar
1: (laughs) it's true because i used to live in vancouver
0: one of the things that strikes me about gamedaily.biz is I I'm very regularly reaching out to company leaders or people who just represent big interests and I feel like a younger writer or a writer who is more experienced in quote-unquote traditional kind of uh, video game enthusiast reporting maybe Mm -hmm. wouldn't be used to or would think it has like a a bit more weight than it might you know we're simply reaching out for comment because we we ought to kind of thing. Tell me about like when, sure. when you're thinking about a story, especially maybe a tougher one, like how do we report on Epic Games versus Steam or how do we report on a mm-hmm. uh, issue like uh, Crunch at Rockstar? What are the kinds yeah. of standards and practices you guys at GameDaily.biz are trying to like, hold yourself to?
1: Ethical, like ethics and integrity are the backbone. It's a pillar of how we conduct ourselves. And I I really went into this on Twitter not long ago, talking about why I prize ethics and integrity Mm -hmm. over pretty much everything else. So being able to tell a balanced story is what matters, not playing into sensationalism, not necessarily picking one spot and then going for it. It's about digging facts up, right? That's journalism. You go and find the facts, the facts build the narrative. You don't have a narrative and then try to get the facts to fit in. And that's the biggest standard that I think that I hold myself and you guys on the news team to is we're always trying to tell a balanced story. So tell me what, what's interesting about this, put it in context for everybody else, and also make sure that you're looking at it from a variety of different angles Whenever we tackle something that is challenging. So I interviewed uh, Jen McLean, who is the executive director of the IGDA. We talked at length about unionization. Mm. And that's a really sticky subject, especially after the Game Developers Conference last year and that roundtable and how quickly it devolved. It was tough. I wasn't
0: there, but I I did hear a lot about that. Yes.
1: Yeah, I I wasn't in the room for it either. I had another meeting at the time. But the point being is that I knew it was hard for her, but I still needed to poke at it Mm -hmm. to make sure that I understood not just her perspective, but the perspectives of other people when it comes to crunch and how do we protect games workers and how do we protect developers and things like that. So we have a story that highlighted a person and a person's perspective. And then we have another story like uh, Game Workers Unite. You know, Anna Valens, who is an excellent one of the excellent reporters that works for Game Daily on a part time basis, that was her story. She was talking to developers and she was talking to representatives from Games Workers Unite and things like that to tell that side of the story. So it's not even that we're going to have all of these sides to a story in one story. That's how we build out coverage and that's how we maintain that ethical standard so that we're not. Erring too far on the side of, like, oh, well, I mean, companies have to make money, right? Mm -hmm. So crunch is pretty okay. Like, you'll never see that on Game Daily, but that's kind of an (laughs) extreme. That's kind of an extreme. (laughs) But also making sure that we're not like unions are the only solution. It's important to remain as neutral as we can in order Mm -hmm. to tell these stories that. We can't affect this change. This isn't for us. All we can do is tell the stories so that they can take action.
0: What uh, what, what do you think about it? there there in all aspects of journalism, whether it's entertainment or political or or national or regional? There has been a huge debate about uh the 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 false uh kind of comfort that like a a you know true neutral position on something can possibly also harm the, the subjects of a story there. Right. And, and how do we, as, as a press that covers a entertainment medium, how do we avoid doing harm by like neglecting to, to poke at the bear in a way?
1: <laughs> I think that there is a really gentle way to, present stories that either you may not agree with, or mm-hmm. that you may not be comfortable positing. Not everybody is going to be comfortable writing about unionization. Not everyone is going to be comfortable writing about crunch, because there might be some alarm bells that are going off. And I think that true neutrality is impossible. There's no such thing. I think that as reporters, as journalists, there's we are all, we have implicit bias. Every human being does. That's just the way we're built it's biology right and it's it's about environment and how we're raised for good or for ill so that implicit mm-hmm. bias is always going to exist and the best thing that we can do is just examine it and be like okay how is this going to affect the story is it going to affect the story at all and always getting other people to read your work to make sure that those kinds of biases are called out so it's like okay well i see where you're going on this but one of the things that i've had to say to a number of writers that I've worked with over the years is we're not looking to preach, right? Mm -hmm. We can tell stories that are difficult and that are that we're passionate about. So talking about unionization, talking about, my goodness, when we had to cover Capcom Vancouver closing, when we had to cover Telltale. Still
0: very proud of that story.
1: (laughs) The fact that we broke both of those stories last year was both heartbreaking and really Mm -hmm. vindicating at the same time because we're such a small site. But- There have been times where I've had to take writers aside and say, look, I know what you're going for here. I understand where your heart is, but it's not our job to draw the conclusion. Our job is to open the door and invite in conversation, present the information to the best of your ability, but don't embellish it with your own opinion. It's not an opinion piece. We're presenting it with context, but the context is researched. It's not us coming out blindly with conjecture.
0: I, uh, and I, it reminds me of again working at Game Informer under Mike, uh, Game Informer always had the policy of just the facts, ma'am, for the first part of the story, and then like at the bottom, if the story called for it, there would be a our take uh, kind of section. And that's right. Still, yeah, Mike
1: spearheaded that.
0: Yeah, and they still have that to this day, as far as I understand. Uh, and that's where you would see an editor kind of stick their neck out a little bit. And I'm sure that that went through an editing process each time they posted something. And I'm sure Mike had his standards but it it feels like a game daily of course we're sort of weaving that into there there is only one body of text there is no like hey here's our take section maybe the maybe the like more slightly quasi-opinionated stuff is kind of near the end because we're trying to like re-provide context but it's it's a careful balance right it It is. is
1: and it has to be i think that if we veer too far away from putting ourselves into our work. It'll be flat and lifeless. And business reporting isn't easy. It's not easy to write. It's not easy to read sometimes. And if honestly, if you're sitting there and you're like, oh, I'm so bored with this work. I mean, shoot, how do you think your audience is going to feel when they're Mm -hmm. reading it? So it's not about pulling your personality out because your personality is important. It's your voice. And that's again that's something I've reminded writers a lot about over the years especially since I started working as an editor is voice is important. I will always encourage voiciness. What I won't encourage is like I said is is that that preachiness where it's just like, well, you know, this developer did this thing and then finger wagging. You know, that is what I want to veer away from because that's not that's not a helpful way of presenting a conversation or presenting the information at hand. Mm-hmm. So, uh, at game daily, I mean like we have we have breakout features. That's what we're doing these days. That's a new thing for us as as, you know, as we move forward and as we're changing direction and kind of throwing spaghetti at the wall, which is Wait. what I've been calling January and February.
0: That's all of internet journalism is just like, what's going to work?
1: God, ah. how are we going to make this stick? So we're in spaghetti mode right now. We're just throwing a lot of spaghetti at the wall and seeing what's going to stick. And what I've, I'm starting to see is people really like the breakout features where we talk about things like Apex Legends. We, we put out that very well-researched opinion piece that still managed to be kind of an opinion piece about how Apex Legends is AAA's first true test of the battle royale genre.
0: Are we talking about uh, Johnny's or Mike's piece?
1: Johnny's piece. Okay. Johnny's piece, definitely. Johnny
0: Colvin. Yeah.
1: Yes, and Johnny is one of our more prolific writers on on Game Daily, and he's he's done amazing work. Um, but yeah, he put together that Apex Legends piece like overnight because I said, "Hey, I need a breakout. <laughs> I need you to do this for me. Come talk about AAA and and battle royale, and talk to me about industry trends." And that's how we put it in perspective. Those are the times where we're like, okay, hey, this is our opinion. This is what we're based on trends, based on information. This is what we believe to be the case. And we do that every time we sit down to record the Bizcast, too. So that's how we inject additional opinion. And this is what we think would happen based on the information that we have.
0: And uh, we're already kind of like ankle deep in in talking about this, but let's go a little deeper here. We're in throwing spaghetti at the wall mode, which I th- I think might be my my most favorite way of describing the the hellscape that is internet journalism and trying to figure out like what an audience <laughs> wants. But we're all like kind of coming off the tail end of plenty of layoffs at places like uh, Vice and uh, Buzzfeed, and thankfully we haven't had a. Uh, games media layoff in the last I don't know, six months. I don't know.
1: I think the last I think the last round of layoffs was probably it was probably last year at some point. But people get yeah. laid off in yeah. very small chunks in the industry because a lot of us are freelancers or we're contracted. So it's not going to be in sweeping droves because, yeah, it, it, we just don't have the the money's not there because we haven't figured out how to capitalize on, on, um, entertainment journalism.
0: So what I'll ask is, uh, uh, how, how do you begin to build up a brand like game daily? Like what is the process of like talking to someone like your boss and saying, Hey, we've got this idea. We, we're going to make this site from scratch. And how do you, how do you turn something like that into something that you, you know, you are, you are a, a mother and you have spouse and you have, uh, this, you have a family to to I provide do. for and a house to pay bills on. How do you even begin to make game gamedaily.biz something like that, that can support you and pay pretty well, in my opinion, <laughs> the freelancers and the like, you know, permalancers that might come through your door?
1: Sure. I can't really go into a ton of detail about it, namely because the parent company for Game Daily is Greenlit Content. So they're the ones that are mm-hmm. footing the bill. They're the ones that are investing in our site and it's really mutual right? They they're building their own brand up because they normally work with clients and which full disclosure on this one, I have nothing to do with that side of the equation. They do a lot of client work for, Mm. and we always disclose this for places like Riot and and things like that. So for writing any features, we always make sure we disclose that Greenlit is working with said client. For for Mm. us though, on Game Daily, because we have that kind of that kind of patron system where we're where we know where the money's coming from. Yes, we do have to sing for our supper every once in a while to make sure we're justifying. This is the direction that we're going. Um, I think that the profit model in media is broken and there is, there's a lot of room for change and for growth. I think that ad based revenue is there. There's no stability there I think that mm. putting things behind entirely behind a paywall, unless you're an enormous site with a ton of cultural cachet, you're going to find yourself coming up short. If you're not personality based and doing a ton of video, you're going to find it very difficult to do kind of a subscription model. So, when I'm when I think about ways that we can, because this is just talking in general, not even about Game Daily. When we think about building up new brands and we think about building up new websites and new voices and everything like that, the most important thing to do is ensure long-term sustainability. And we haven't figured out how to do that yet because it's such a volatile market. And there are so many voices and there are so many ways that people are talking about things and they're all trying to do it in the same kind of way. So part of what I think about, and this keeps me up at night because of course it does, (laughs) where I sit there and I'm like, you know... There's got to be a better way to make money in media that's ethical and sustainable. And part of it, I think, is treating journalism like a public good and treating even entertainment journalism partly as a public good, where it isn't about turning a profit for investors. It's about keeping the lights on. It's about growing little by little, not too much So that when you go and you reach the top too fast and you don't have the infrastructure. And this is what we see in tech companies all the time in Silicon Valley. They grow too fast mm. and too big. And then there's nowhere to go. They they run out of they run out of runway.
0: You you hire you hire a hundred people on like a six month contract sure. and then whoops, the executive's idea did not pan out the way we needed it to. And suddenly it's those people kind of taking the bullet, not the person who, who enacted the strategy.
1: Exactly. So we, so what we're starting to see more of, and this is, you know, we're seeing this over at the guardian. They have a tip jar. They've got uh, ways that you can support the website and support the newspaper just by saying, Hey, I'm going to subscribe and I I want to pay into this website on a monthly basis. And that's, it's something that's actually working for the guardian. I think they make like 11% of their annual revenue on the tip jar. Like that's, that's a significant wow. chunk of change because I don't, I mean, I don't know what the revenue looks like, but what we see a lot of these days is investors looking at media in general, not even just entertainment media, but media in general as a tech startup. They're looking at it for product and for profit rather than looking at it as, okay, well, that's not quite what we're doing. We're not building content models. We're not doing content marketing. We're not building a product necessarily, unless you're Vox, Mm. in which case you have Chorus, which is their uh, content management system. And it's beautiful. Um, and Mike had their, had their own CMS that, that they were working on. It was a great product as well. But yeah, that's, that's how we end up with media companies growing really big like Mike did. And I used to work at Mike and then got laid off five months later because they <laughs> pivoted to video and.
0: Oh, the dreaded pivot. Uh,
1: yeah, the pivot to video of 2017.
0: I'm, I'm here if you want to talk about pivot to
1: video. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, dude. So yeah, it's, um it's a broader question about media in general is how do we ensure that media is profitable only to the point of sustaining its staff and growing bit by bit and ensuring that the because m- the margins for running a site are relatively good in terms of what you need to put in versus what you could potentially get out but it's nothing like newspapers newspapers are almost nothing the margins are razor like they're they're not razor thin. Um, they're They're fantastic. Like you can net a ton of money by getting a bunch of people to advertise in your newspaper because it goes to everybody's mailboxes and that's how people used to get their news. So they'd see all these ads and they would go out into their local stores and it would work really, really well. And it doesn't work like that anymore. The ad model does not work anymore. So we're trying to figure it out. I don't think there is a single answer out there that's going to work no. for every audience. I think that for Game Daily... We're in a unique position because we have an investor and we have somebody that is we have a company that really believes in what we're doing and they're able to put more money into a site that isn't making money like we have no ads on Game Daily and we pay our freelancers relatively well for us it's more about building cachet and we have other things that are in the works behind the scenes that we can't talk about yet that I think people are really, really, really going to love and they're really going to want to be a part of in the future. But I wish I could talk about it.
0: (laughs) It's okay. We'll, we'll all squeal like schoolgirls in the slack.
1: (laughs) I will tell, I will tell you guys everything once, once we have it, but yeah, there's a, it's a very different kind of business model. So I think that having more conversations, more frank conversations about how we make money in media is really important. And that helps keep that helps to keep things transparent as well.
0: And let's let's touch on this before we kind of jump into some other topics. I, I do want to talk about the dreaded pivot to video if you're comfortable with that. <laughs> sure, that's fine. Because it wasn't that long ago that information and data came out to show that the the grand pivot to video was built upon a very shaky foundation of, of Facebook playing with data to really show, like, hey, yes, of course, investors and advertisers. Yes, video sorry, video is where I you are <laughs>
1: That's kind of what it was. That's what they were doing. They were inflating numbers.
0: Yeah. Uh, and and how in your opinion how did that reshape the media industry and how can we move beyond that in a healthy sustainable way?
1: I think that video is going to be important no matter no matter where you go, no matter how you consume content, but the pivot, the big pivot, the grand pivot completely disregarded the fact that hey, you need writers to write mm-hmm. your videos. You need people doing the research that are great journalists that can help you put together the vision for these videos. Both of these things can exist at the same time, but it is more expensive, which means that when the media companies like my old, like, you know, like Mike decided that they're going to pivot to video based on numbers that were not the case, they weren't able to make informed decisions about, they weren't able to make good informed decisions about what they were going to do with their resources. And when it came down to it. A lot of these companies were caught with their pants down because they're like, I don't know, this is what Facebook told us, we trusted Mm -hmm. them. And they have no reason not to. But there's the problem with the internet in general, we're all operating on somebody else's platform right twitter mm-hmm. facebook youtube twitch mixer you name it everybody's got their everybody's got their platform everybody's got their own agenda so you have to be very careful about where you're putting your content and how many eggs you're putting into one basket as for moving forward through and away from this pain of the pivot to video <laughs> i think that we're going to see smaller independent operations starting to spring up I think that we're going to start seeing different kinds of business models. Like we talked about, we are going to see a return to grassroots.
0: In, in many ways we do already. We see lots sure. of Patreon yeah. funded projects like uh, what's exactly. good games, kind of funny, any number of those kinds of things where people are making their own kind of content at their own pace and say like, here's sure. the agreement I'm going to make to you, the customer, And hopefully you're along for the ride for, you know, so I can at least make 30 K a year or something like that.
1: Yeah, exactly. The, the interesting thing about kind of funny and about what's good is they're very personality based, right? Mm -hmm. They do talk about the news and they do it. They do it well. They're very good at what they do. Both like both, both teams are excellent at what they do, but their personalities, they're not journalists. And I think that that's where we are going to see some serious blurring of the lines is we're already starting to see personality journalism popping up. I mean, I follow my favorite writers around wherever they end up at. You know, I've Mm. been following like Danielle Riendo for me is probably the big one is I've been following her work for years and I just follow her from site to site to site. I'm not saying like Cecilia um, D'Anastasio is like ever really going to leave Kotaku, but if she ever leaves Kotaku, I'll go follow her too. Oh yeah. You know, so we're in, we're in the personnel. It's not a cult of personality necessarily, but we're in this weird gray area of what does it mean to be loyal to a journalist in their perspective or loyal to a site and it's, ethos or, or whatever and I think that the business models around journalism we're going to be seeing more Patreons but we're also going to be having to ask some really difficult questions like where are those lines where if if a if somebody who works at a publisher like at EA is sponsoring my Patreon what kind of ethical what kind of ethical questions do I need to be asking myself mm-hmm. so there's a there's a whole host of of problematic the, of, of problems really with the patron model for journalism. And I think that that's why we're seeing a lot of these grassroots organizations popping up, but they're not necessarily dedicated to journalism. They're dedicated to telling the news and they're dedicated to having a conversation with their audience, but they're not necessarily doing a journalism.
0: It's a, it's a question of like, how do you want to digest your news? Do you want Greg Miller to tell you, do you want Brittany Brombacher to tell you, do you want a uh, Khalif to tell you something like that? And yeah.
1: Or do you want to get it from game daily? Like, are you more interested in the games industries and and the gamas and the, and the game dailies where you want to see how the, how the games are made and, you know, really, what goes on in terms of industry news? We don't do a whole heck of a lot of video on Game Daily. We're in, like I said, we're in spaghetti mode, so mm-hmm. we're just kind of throwing stuff at the wall and we're like, eh, what's working and what's not? Video is not the way people want to interact with us on Game Daily.
0: I'm I'm just imagining you and Mike in in two very white, big, puffy chef outfits, just throwing <laughs> food around your kitchen.
1: That's I've done that. Um, not with Mike, but definitely by myself when I used to live by myself in my early twenties. So.
0: So, uh, so let, us pivot to maybe something a little bit more fun, or at least more like we can, we can scream and shout and, and have a little <laughs> bit of, uh, Where I'm uh not anxiety. <laughs> let's, let's talk about first apex legends. I want I really want to talk about that. Cause I've had a lot of fun playing with my friends and 10 million players in what a four day period. And
1: unbelievable.
0: Coming, especially coming off the back of something like the anthem demo, which yeah. by all accounts seems to have have met the the numbers that they wanted to, unless there, there's every chance that EA was maybe just you know saying nice so they avoided a a PR snafu. But <laughs> but wh- I I really wish, and I have I have one or two friends who work within EA, different departments, but you know of course I'm going to ask them. I really wish I could be a fly on the wall in that meeting after the Anthem demo and be like, yo, so I know game audiences aren't like a, a zero sum game. What appeals to Anthem fans may not appeal to Apex and vice versa,
1: Sure, but man, it
0: feels like Apex is kind of eating Anthem's lunch. What do you think?
1: Uh, I think that there is, there's room for that discussion. If nothing else, Apex legends is has a much better chance of eating firestorms lunch so that's Battlefield 5's Battle Royale mode, and that's supposed to be coming mm. out in March. That, I think, is going to be a serious overlap. I think that they're going to see, I think that the biggest problem for them right now, and it was something I, I've been thinking about for days, is not necessarily that the audience has a ton of overlap, but awareness is the problem. And if Apex Legends is dominating the conversation and continues to dominate all the way through launch, they're in trouble.
0: Yeah, what what did you say the name of the battlefield uh, battle royale mode was? Firestorm. Firestorm. Never heard of it. Never heard of it. I mean, I knew I knew there was a battle royale mode coming, but if you yeah. told me to name it, or I, w- I would have just said battlefield battle royale. That's or okay. Something, it's I because
1: used... I was doing research. That's the only reason why I know it. Because I, I was doing research about battle royale and making sure that we were covering our bases when we were talking about Apex Legends as AAA's real first test into battle royale as a genre. I didn't want to be putting. I didn't want to be putting us out there to say that this is definitively the case if it wasn't. And it, it is, there's no one else that, has, this is the only AAA company outside of like Fortnite, but Fortnite's technically in beta. So this is a full release. Apex legends is a full release. If we're talking about this in terms of Anthem, Anthem, their problem is awareness right now. Nobody, one of the things we talked about on the Bizcast yesterday is you have it's one of those kinds of games where you have to play it you have to experience it mm-hmm. to really like get what the game is and i i have it's it's not very often where i say that that's the case where it's just like well i can't really tell you what anthem's about well i can't it's a bioware game that doesn't quite feel like a bioware game but that's not necessarily a bad thing it's you know, it's like when Lady Gaga goes and records a new album. So, of course, it's going to be completely different than the last one. That's what she does. Mm.
0: How, how do you put that into words? Yes.
1: But yeah, how do you put that into words and how do you put that into a marketing campaign? Because what EA came back and said, what CEO Andrew Wilson came back and said was, look, we failed on the Battlefield Five marketing campaign because we weren't able to adequately communicate what the game was about. And that's part of the case. Yeah. But the other part of it was they didn't really release a game that was finished, but no one's asking me on that one. I don't do game recruits anymore. So
0: that's okay. I, I'm one of two over a daily dot. I'll get there. Eventually <laughs> I, I have my platform. I'll fall on that. <laughs> that's
1: fair. But yeah, I, I think that it's an awareness issue and they could potentially be making a lot of the same mistakes that they did with battlefield five. Um, and releasing Apex Legends, I know why they released it just before they went out with their financials. I get it. Because they were able to oh, go yeah. into their financial call, which was incredibly bad. It was very bad. I've never seen such a bad quarter <laughs> like in my do, life. Do tell. <laughs> it was a very bad quarter. They they missed the mark by, I think it was almost $100 million. It was very bad.
0: Ooh. Yeah. With a, um, with a B.
1: Yeah, it was a cap. It was capital B bad and capital S soft. So they went into that call and they're just like, well, we have Apex Legends. And that's what they were able to focus on is saying, like, look at how quickly we're starting to gain momentum. And yes, you know, we're also going to have a premium Titanfall experience and and stuff like that coming out this year. But they almost never use earnings calls to announce games. They announced games in the earnings call like (laughs) this week. Like, what? No, no one does that. That's not a thing. So it was, yeah. I think that I think that Anthem is gonna is gonna suffer because Apex Legends is gonna be eating up the cultural consciousness.
0: And just the the obvious clutch of it's a free to play game, and mm-hmm. of course there's microtransactions. But they did the Overwatch thing of it, it, it will never it affect affect gameplay. Very yeah. transparent. Yeah, they have the exact uh, drop rates for all the things you can buy. It's perfect. And and it's there. And also, just like minor aside one white male character
1: uh i mean so you like i i playing as a black woman in a game is i never get to do that like ever it's super cool
0: three years into overwatch and they still don't really have uh, a black woman they have they women of it's color, a very, uh so
1: yes it's, and i mean yeah. there's also um oh my goodness what is her name sombra you know sombra's yeah, she's Zumbra. Latina, and like that's, it, I it's not to not to say that I want to like rain all over Overwatch's parade because I love how diverse their cast yeah. is, but come like respawn making that very deliberate decision. Hey, we want you to be able to play a number of different kinds of characters, and not just in terms of what mm. they do with their powers. We want them to have stories. They have merged the hero shooter and uh the battle royale genre and they've just like they stuffed them together and they're like look we made this for you and also it kind of feels like you're playing titanfall and everyone's like oh and it's free <laughs> yeah yes i yes please take my my hard drive space i will i would like
0: it's also smaller than the anthem a, a demo. lot of it's like it's like 10 a gigs lot smaller. smaller than
1: the anthem demo to yeah be clear. um the division 2 beta <sighs> is um also quite large so yeah there's a mood and a half so yeah i think that i think that anthem's in trouble in terms of awareness not even necessarily in terms of overlap but definitely in terms of awareness
0: and so speaking of of awareness building and and brand building this is this has just been a brand building kind of two or three Mm -hmm. months we've had here epic epic games is throwing down the gauntlet Mm -hmm. at steam we've been reporting on this for a little over a month i'd say right and the the general consensus thus far seems to be like okay steam steam isn't in mortal danger right now but they've lost the they've lost the thread on uh, i i as a consumer not even just not even as a journalist i as a consumer am really interested in what epic games wants to do with their platform of course i support developers getting a bigger cut of the revenue Uh, of course there's there's plenty of gray area to like how that actually pans out but i generally would support that idea and they've been doing a for the time that they've had their platform, they've been doing a relatively bang up job of garnering exclusives and saying like, hey, we're going to like capitalize on the success Mm -hmm. of Fortnite. And and the fact that so many younger players perhaps don't have an affinity for Steam because they've just Mm -hmm. been playing Fortnite on the Epic launcher, we can become a default store for a new generation. Absolutely.
1: I think that, I think that what Epic is doing is really interesting. And as a consumer, again, this is taking this is taking away from where I'm at as a journalist. As a journalist, I find a lot of Valve's practices really questionable. But as a consumer, I just find it frustrating. It's a frustrating platform that I generally don't like using anymore because it's so bloated. Mm-hmm. All my games are there though, but I don't care about achievements. I don't care about... The, you know, doing the activities and getting the trading cards or anything like that. I don't necessarily use any of the other features that Steam has to offer. So I go to a place like Epic, like the Epic Game Store, and it's minimalist. I've got games that's it. Games in my friend list. That's it. I need them to get cloud saves. That's really what I need Epic to do. Mm -hmm. The fact that they don't have cloud saves really upsets me. But other than that, I mean, like, that's all I want in a launcher and in a storefront. I just want to be able to buy the games, hang out with my friends, and be able to store my games in a cloud, my saves in a cloud. That's it. I don't want anything else. And that's for me personally as a consumer.
0: And one other like aspect of that, the the better cut for developers and publishers seems like okay we as the epic store aren't filling our store with all that like useless minutiae so there's not as much motive for us to take more of that profit and and provide those little mini services we're just focused on doing what a launcher and what a store front should do ergo we don't need to worry about that margin as much yeah
1: and i think that because they're not necessarily worried about that. But I mean, they're also doing that for their Unreal Engine licensors. I mean, back in, I think it was July mm-hmm. of last year, they went to all their Unreal Engine licensees and they're like, okay, so we're going to cut the rev share and also we're going to do it for the last four years. So it's Fortnite money. That's really what this comes down mm-hmm. to is they're, they're not just reinvesting in their business, which they are, they're reinvesting in their people in their community and the Epic game store is a very interesting move for them because it's, it really falls in line with what CEO Tim Sweeney has to say about closed ecosystems. So it's, it's interesting. He will, he does not like the walled garden of iOS. He absolutely opted out of the Google play store so that, you know, he could not, (laughs) <laughs> like give away 30%.
0: And it, and it doesn't off. seem to stop. It doesn't seem to stop too many kids from like using their parents' phone to still play Fortnite on mobile. It's true. Uh, true. I, I've, I've interviewed several uh, who like say they primarily play on mobile. And it's like, well, they're doing it on Android. Of course they're, they're smart yeah. enough to work around it, of course.
1: Yeah. And well, I mean, kids are really smart. That's really what it comes mm. down to. Kids are incredibly intelligent. And any person that tells you that kids are dumb, don't like they have never spoken to a child children always know how to get around what their parents want (laughs) speaking from
0: incredible experience
1: (laughs) because i have four of them oh my god so yeah so many i almost have a team large enough to like professionally play starcraft almost
0: (laughs) (laughs) you you've got got permalancers there and
1: yeah it's amazing Uh, i think that gabriel is the only one that would probably want to play starcraft but anyway point being um epic game store is doing some cool stuff because they are putting their money where their mouths are they are prioritizing experience over features which i appreciate personally they are putting developers first for now they are putting Mm -hmm. developers first that's not necessarily how it will stay but they're also putting they're also putting a ton of money out there And they're getting these exclusives. I can't I can't tell you how they're doing it because I don't have this information. But what I've posited and I've been doing this now for like the last month or so and saying, look, I'm pretty sure that how they're handling this is they're doing minimum guarantees. So they will they will say, look, we will pay you X amount of dollars for X amount of sales. And if even if you don't meet it, we'll still give you the money. That's a minimum guarantee. Mm-hmm. I have a feeling that they're probably doing something like that so that they can get more people onto the Epic game store and get them interested.
0: That, that is what they're doing with Metro. It seems it does, like yeah. because Metro is a up in the air kind of, uh, will it be a success story? Can they, can they cash in on that name enough? It's not the biggest shooter franchise, but it's up there. So
1: yeah, Epic game store is doing some cool stuff. They are also doing some kind of questionable stuff, um, by hiring the dude, by getting the dude who was working on steam spy,
0: Sergei Galyonkin. Galyonkin.
1: Yeah. I I won't speak too much about this because I don't really want to get into the weeds about it. But I think that that's a really ethical... That's, a, that's an ethically questionable choice. And I don't think it would be something that if I were Tim Sweeney that I would be comfortable with. But... I mean they have to draw their ethical lines somewhere and if they're not willing to draw them with their dance emotes they're not likely going to want to draw them with, you know, hiring the guy that that essentially exposed steam data for your average user. You know, so that they could see sales and and have more information there.
0: It seems like there is it seems like there's two routes that a lot of big companies like Epic, Valve or in, in my mind I'm thinking of something like Amazon where, for years, they've been uh provide they'll say you know ninety nine dollars a year uh for mm-hmm. Amazon Prime, and we'll ship almost anything to your home for mm-hmm. nothing and they and they they crushed bookstores i and I say this as a former bookstore employee, they crushed a lot of bookstores by saying we're gonna we're gonna offer this book at the thirty percent off price that they're asking for. If you have their member card and if you drive to the store, we'll give it to you for that price. And if you already have prime, what do you care? You're getting it shipped to you for free in like 48 hours. Uh, And now in some senses, they're beginning to slowly walk like Amazon prime is getting more expensive. There's different versions Mm -hmm. of Amazon prime. And now that they've really crippled competition, who who are you going to go to? You, who are you going to go to, to buy uh, something that maybe is, is a 30 minute drive away when you just don't have the time or the, the sure. facility to do it. So they've, they've in effect that little, I don't want to say false goodwill, but that kind of imitation of goodwill afforded them the chance to then later dominate the market, however they saw fit. And I wonder if that's something that like in five to 10 years, we'll look back on the Epic store you know what? What will the state of the competition look like? And did they? They're offering Metro for I think ten dollars less than it is only on Steam. In the United States, and of course, only, only for, for the, the
1: U.S. So they're not offering that discount oh, outside okay. the U.S.
0: I'm sure they would. Lo- I'm sure they would like love to if they if they had the logistics to do though. So and uh, and they're also of course the the greater revenue cut for developers attracting the businesses in sure. that sense. So could we see that get taken away down the road is my question.
1: I don't think so. I don't think that's really the way that Epic governs itself. I think that Epic's biggest challenge right now with developers is going to be eyeballs and getting getting an audience, building an audience. And part of that, that's part of the reason why they're shelling out all this money for these exclusives is because they want more people on their platform to be able to purchase these these games and you know ensure that the platform grows because for the longest time all it was was steam and then ea spun off and ubisoft has uplay and there's also now bethesda has their own platform and now we've got epic game store and we have discord and we've got Roboc robot cash as well which is brian fargo's you know there's a lot of different options out there so they're they're fighting for for attention right now and when you're When you're talking to a very, very, very dedicated PC audience, man, if things can get ugly, and they have gotten ugly, people have been really upset about, you know, Metro Exodus moving over to the Epic Game Store, because it's like, oh, it's so inconvenient. And, you know, all they're thinking about are themselves, they're not thinking about the audience, and, you know, and things like that.
0: That one kind of irked me because, like, there's there there's no they're providing the game and all subsequent like updates and DLC on Steam. Still, it's just like, hey, if you haven't bought it yet, you're, now you're forced to go over to this other tool. Sure. And I I don't get the anger there, but again, I know that that's in a lot of ways what the PC gamer crowd f- can be like.
1: Mm-hmm. It's true, and it's they're obviously not all PC gamers are like that, but the very vocal subset that just wants what they want when they want it. You know, I can understand the frustration. I really can. I can understand where it's like, okay, well, but you guys have been advertising on Steam for ages. And now you're just suddenly cutting and running because you got a better deal somewhere else. Like what? It was different with the division too, because they hadn't really started marketing the division two yet because the division two yeah. was a big game that is now going to exist only on UPlay and the Epic game store. So that's a, that's a big risk for Ubisoft. And yeah, I, I think that I think that there's been a lot of, they're, they're doing some interesting stuff at Epic games, but unless they build the audience, they're going to end up, they're going to end up in trouble. And that's where I'm concerned for them. And I'm concerned for developers.
0: How do you think? How do you think they they build the audience up in that respect?
1: I think that it's getting the right people on there, getting not just the right games, but getting the right influencers to talk about it. And you know, one we have a brand new column that went up today on Game Daily called Full Disclosure, and it's all about influencer marketing and influencer news and stuff that's happening around the industry with regards to influencers. So influencer marketing is really important. It's it's a it's an important market spend marketing spend, and it generally leads to conversion. So when I talk about conversion, this is, oh God, this is me going back to my digital marketing days. When I talk about conversion, it's about like, okay, this percentage of people actually did the thing that you asked them to do. And in this case, it's to purchase a game or it's to install the launcher or or what have you. That's going to be the tipping point for them is they're going to get the right game with the right people talking about not just the game, but the platform that the game's on and building a platform that is going to be streamer friendly. Honestly, 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 I believe that if they start including very streamer friendly tools, potentially, because I know that you can, you can actually stream and let your friends watch your gameplay on steam. If they start doing things like that, I mean, the world, the at that point, the world's their oyster.
0: (laughs) Cause then Twitch becomes a competitor too. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I well, I mean, I think that or maybe Or
0: maybe a tool wealthy. within their arsenal. Yeah,
1: and that's kind of what I'm thinking more along the lines of, is that I don't think that anyone... Unless... Um, this is a completely different conversation, but Twitch has the market cornered. They really do. Mm-hmm. And unless they do something severely terrible, and they do some not great things pretty much all the time. But unless they do something incredibly profoundly terrible that drives streamers away in droves, their biggest streamers away in droves, no one's going to be able to compete. It's just not a thing. Yeah. They have, I think... My goodness, like 70% of the market is is Twitch when it comes to streamers, like 70% of, of streamers hang out on Twitch. Sounds so I mean right. Yeah, so I I I think that number's right. It's around there somewhere. Point being, once the 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 thing that the Epic Game Store is going to struggle with is getting eyeballs and getting users and getting people to care about their ethos. And that's developers first. So if users do care about developers first awesome but your average gamer wants convenience and they want the features that they're used to and they want to be able to do things in a way that they're familiar with so i think that that's going to be that's going to be an uphill battle for them and we're probably not going to see any kind of tipping point for the epic game store for at least two or three years there's no way that they're going to do this overnight. I mean, that's yeah. it's a conservative estimate, but Valve isn't even looking in the rearview mirror at this point. You covered that story, right? They didn't. They're not. They don't even care. Well, a part of me,
0: a, a part of me wondered, like, is this just them, like, d- don't acknowledge the problem if you don't have to address it immediately, you know? And and they have in some respects like they they actually made the statement when the metro exodus uh was pulled from their store Mm -hmm. which is a very rare thing in the in the realm of valve right and they didn't do it for uh division two because that wasn't really a a uh as of yet marketed pushed thing exactly so so boo hoo we lost one ubisoft title we have the nine others that are coming out this year but but in a way i was like oh they're maybe they're beginning to learn maybe we'll learn is the wrong word, but they're beginning to to crack on like, well, okay, crap. If the snowball has begun growing and rolling mm-hmm. and it's a long, long Hill, like you said, I, I, even I, for, for as much as I am super curious and super supportive of, of developers getting that bigger revenue cut. I don't think, you know, steam is in mortal danger for at least two or three more years. Minimum.
1: That's a minimum. Yeah. I think that we're going to be looking long-term between five and 10. Um, it really does depend on, on whether or not they find that tipping point sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. And remember that for the longest time, all there was, was, was steam. It was only steam. And now there's a ton of other competition out there.
0: I also think about like just indie viability. Uh, it seems like Epic yeah. is it, in a way it's like the Oculus versus, uh, steam VR and, and HTC Vive kind of thing uh oculus had a much more strict curated kind of storefront whereas steam you can get literal vr porn on steam and uh, i forget
1: that you can do that (laughs) because of course you can because because, rule 13
0: (laughs) but uh but something like that is doing fine but they they definitely didn't have like the world conquering blowout success that they you know maybe uh, touted that they would and which and is they, another conversation another conversation well. that we definitely I I'm done talking about VR as <laughs> someone who covered it for so <laughs> long but uh uh I wonder like in you saw a lot of indie developers on Twitter saying this sounds great for me cuz uh sure. Steam's Steam's thing was if because you
1: discoverability it,
0: discoverability and then it you you only began to get a bigger crack at uh, of the revenue if you sold like a million copies which a lot of indie games just are not going to do and, no they're not and, and that's
1: okay yeah. there's nothing wrong with that but that means that they're not ever going to get access to the bigger piece of the pie yeah and that's disheartening man you put your you put your heart and your soul into your game you're already plagued with discoverability problems where you're not going to be on the steam home page for longer than five minutes after you launch your game unless you i don't know end up becoming super duper popular or you end up in people's queues or you get curated by by Steam's curators you know it's it's rolling the dice and that's not you know entrepreneurs are not risk averse right they are they're they're in it for the long term they're in it to to pivot and to make money along the way but they can also soak risk because they know that that's the nature of business Developers aren't necessarily business people. Mm-hmm. They don't think in terms of, oh my goodness, I have to like swallow this and I have to try to make this work and pay all my bills. Like they don't have the resources to be risk averse, right? To be anything, sorry, to be anything other than risk averse. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think that competition is healthy and it's good. And Steam has had a monopoly for a very long time. And it's it's time for them to either step up and do right by developers and do right by their communities, by ensuring that they're taking care of some of the toxicity issues over on, on C, on steam. Um, or they're going to lose, they're going to continue to lose market share to alternative storefronts like Epic game store. Mm-hmm.
0: It could be, I, and I said this in one of my original articles about it. It could be death by a thousand cuts. You know, I, Exactly. I don't like this feature about steam. So I'm going to look elsewhere. I don't like this feature about steam. So I'm going to look elsewhere. Something, something, something.
1: Yeah, exactly. For me, it's the discoverability problem. I just can't yeah. find anything I want to play anymore. I, I don't I, go on the, steam. unless I have
0: to. the sales. Uh, I, I always look f- forward to the sales and then I realize, well, wait, I, I think I have everything I, I could ever want. And there's nothing. Mm-hmm. If there's an indie game, I've really, yeah, I've, I've got to dig for it and I've got to do my own research about it uh, before I even commit. And even then it's, it's kind of a, a toss up on whether or not I commit, but needless to say, yeah. I think we're going to be very busy, uh, this year.
1: Oh my goodness. There's so much happening. <laughs> <laughs>
0: our, our work is never done. And Lord knows I, I look forward to showing up in that game daily Slack every, uh, Tuesday and Thursday and whenever else you'll have me. So,
1: <laughs> well, it's always good to have you there. <laughs>
0: So as for uh, Game Daily itself, we've got a new column, Spectator Mode, from the lovely Nicole Carpenter, talking about esports. We've got Overwatch League sponsorships, Apex Legends, and NBA Two K League. Uh, is there anything else that you're super uh, excited to kind of uh, bring out into the world at Game Daily?
1: So the other the other column that went live today is Full Disclosure, which is all about influencers and influencer marketing and things to keep in mind when you're looking at trends. I think that publishers and developers can get bogged down in, oh my goodness, well, what's the difference between what's going on in esports versus what's going on with influencers? So we're, we're really trying to put a finer point on that with both Spectator Mode and Full Disclosure. Um, the other thing we've got is the BizCast, the Game Daily BizCast that I host with um, with Mike every, well, we try to be weekly, but January got away from us. So we're weekly-ish, <laughs> weekly adjacent. <laughs> and we do a lot of what what, you're you're doing on on this podcast but we don't we interview each other and we talk at length about some of the biggest um industry news beats we spent my goodness probably close to 20 minutes on um was it yesterday it was yesterday 20 minutes yesterday just talking about ea and their financials and anthem and apex legends so if you want more information about the financial side of the equation we talk about legal issues so we've talked at length about the Fortnite issues uh, the Bizcast is pretty great. And we have that on our website as well.
0: Yes. If, if any of you listening, uh, want the smartest take you can possibly get, trust me, I am r- like trying to douse fires with Mike and Amanda's knowledge in the Slack every day, at game daily so, uh, I, I trust, I trust those two with my life. So,
1: ah, <laughs> that's the sweetest thing you've ever said to me. Aww. Of
0: course. All right, folks. Well, if you've enjoyed that, you can check out the 1099 every Monday morning. Uh, We're aiming for 7 a.m. Sorry about last week. That was a bit of a technical snafu. No idea what happened. But you'll uh, be hearing this, of course, on Monday. And the week after this, you're going to be hearing the creators of The Dragon Prince on Netflix, uh, Justin Richmond and Aaron Ehas talking to me. Uh, I'm actually interviewing them in about 50 minutes here on, on this day. It's Friday when we're recording the 8th. So I am just rolling into everything and it's going to be great. And I'm very excited to talk to those two. That's so what's that?
1: That's so exciting.
0: <laughs> but yeah, if you like that show, uh, please do check that out next week. And again, thank you so much for checking into the 1099 and Amanda, thank you so much for being here and for being my guiding light.
1: <laughs> oh, thank you. This has been really fun.